Let us remember the words of <clears throat> Psalm 118, 22 to 24. <clears throat> the same stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. On this day the Lord has acted. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. <clears throat> I wanted us to uh, take a look at one verse out of the gospel reading and think about how the transforming grace of the Lord applies to it. Transforming grace. Uh, so you can judge whether or not I did justice. I'm going to read the collet as it is originally in the prayer book. <clears throat> Let your continual mercy, O Lord, cleanse and defend your church. And because it cannot continue in safety without your help, protect and govern it always by your goodness. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. So <clears throat> you have the uh, amplified version in the, in the lyric sheet, so you can compare it later. Uh, my reason for beginning to put the collets on the lyric sheet is so if you'd like, you can take it home and have that prayer to, to, uh, to pray and meditate on throughout the week. <clears throat> Before I move on, let me just say, in, in my rewrite, I used that phrase, cleanse by the washing with the water, washing of water with the word. Cleanse by the washing of water with the word. And that's a quote from Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, <clears throat> the English Standard Version has verses 25 to 27 of chapter 5 of Ephesians says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson translates that in his translation of the entire Bible the message in Eugene's translation he says husbands go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church a love marked by giving not getting Christ's love makes the church whole his words evoke her beauty everything he does and says is destined to bring the best out of her dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. <clears throat> so we are thankful today that Christ is cleansing us by washing of water with the word. So the verse that I wanted us to look at that I just read from Luke chapter 12 is verse 15. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. And if you read on a few more verses, verse 34 says, For where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. I'm coming to realize more and more that my life, the the quality of my life, the the level of my day-to-day uh, coping with life, uh, having a sense of stability and peace and contentment is hugely affected by my relationship with others. Of course it's dependent on my relationship with Christ, but it is also um, tied in in a very powerful way to to my relationship with others. And I think as we examine this thing of where is your treasure and the all too common uh, mistake that we make, especially in this Western culture in which we live and which we're so blessed to have so much prosperity and we're all prosperous according to the world standard. that we we tend to make the mistake that having more is the equivalent to having a better life and uh, there's all too many stories of people who don't lack for anything but their lives are terrible uh, and end in disaster so it's obvious that our life does not depend upon does not consist of those things that are in our life. So what does it consist of? Well, as believers, we know it it, uh, consists, first of all, of us having received a new life from Christ. And it also is dependent upon having those horizontal relationships with those around us in our family, in our workplace, in our church, in our community. The biggest obstacle we first have to deal with in having that life, if you want to think of it as the abundant life that Christ talked about in John 10, the biggest obstacle is, no surprise, sin itself, the issue of sin and sin in our lives. Quite a few years back, I came across a very insightful and powerful book written by a pastor called Paul Tripp and. uh, name of the book is Dangerous Calling. It's a book written primarily to those in ministry or with a calling to ministry. And it was written uh, because of the obvious shortfall or the obvious um, failure of so many of many who have responded to to a call to leadership only to uh, but sometimes after decades of service, their lives crashing and burning as, as uh, deficiencies come out and they have to deal with the consequences. So as we think about the issue of, of sin in our lives, Paul Tripp says sin is deceptive. And I think that's a given. But he goes on and says think with me about who it deceives first I have no difficulty recognizing the sin of the people around me but I can be quite unprepared when my sin is pointed out 
Sin deceives 10 out of 10 people reading this book, he said. But it is not enough even to say that. There is more that needs to be said. It needs to be noted that spiritual blindness is not like physical blindness. When you're physically blind, you know that you're blind. And you do things to compensate for this significant physical handicap. But spiritually blind people are not only blind, they are blind to their own blindness. They are blind, but they think they see well. So the spiritually blind person walks around with a delusion that no one has a more accurate view of himself than he does. He thinks he sees and is unaware of the power, powerfully important things in his heart that he absolutely does not see at all. So that begs the question, how can we be sure we're not spiritually blind or that we're not in delusion, deluding ourselves? Paul Tripp says the first step, the most uh, critical step, is to be loved and known within a community. <clears throat> Again, that goes against our current culture. I'm afraid that as we have increased the ability to get connected through technology, we have become even more isolated from one another at, a, at any kind of a deep level. Uh, the majority of relationships, if you want to call it that, the, the majority of communication that takes place through technology, for the most part, fails to deal with any uh, deep issues beyond uh, possibly uh, the latest events in the news or uh, political uh, arguments going on in our culture. Seldom does it people take advantage of using technology to bear their soul to a close friend, although it can be used for that. It doesn't seem to happen very often, at least not in my experience, unless somebody has really had a come to Jesus meeting and realized that they desperately need to have some deeper relationships and accountability in their life. <clears throat> so first of all, we need to be loved and known within a community. A benefit of that is that a healthy community can continue to thrive for generations to come, which is another disastrous thing that's happening with the isolation and independence brought about by social media and other things today. Not just, not just technology, but even the, the busyness, the constant motion and activities of people today, uh, constantly striving to uh, pack in the most punch for the, for the buck in their life. Uh, to see how many trips to Disney World they can make a year, to see, you know, just never-ending uh, pursuing entertainment and uh, fun things, uh, striving, maybe some striving to, uh, to do good things, healthy things, 
keeping their trying to get their their body in shape and doing things to would to make their life healthier, but yet <clears throat> even that can become an idol, can't it? But if you have a healthy community, and there are some examples of that, but um, the community goes beyond any one individual. So, uh, you know, the beauty of that, if, if me and my family are in the midst of a strong, healthy community, I can have some assurance that my children and grandchildren and beyond that have a good chance of continuing uh, in that healthy community and, and benefiting from it. So there's another reason for us to pursue uh, to restore what may have been lost over the years and, and the, back in the day when most families were multi-generational you didn't have just a uh, uh, what's the word for the the, the mother and children family. family nuclear family you didn't have just nuclear families living in, uh, in homes you usually had grandpa and grandma and sometimes you know cousins with or you know just it went on and on with uh, people doing all they could needing each other needing to live together and learning to get along and that may be why we live more <laughs> separated and to have our privacy and to have to compromise less, but I think we, we're the law, much greater loss because of it. I saw an article just this week about this elderly lady who had um, recently moved to an assisted living facility from her, her private home, and she approached it with, uh, with anticipation and eagerness, looking forward to it, and I thought, wow, that is awesome because she had decided it was what was best for her and she was going to find every possible advantage available by having all those other people around her and approached it in a positive way. And, uh, I think that would be, obviously if we had, if we were more open as a culture to the going back to the multi-generational housing concept and there it's a small tiny movement but there is a movement if you look for it uh, in that direction uh, it would uh, it would be a very good and healthy thing for, for us so uh, Paul Tripp says allowing Jesus to be the source of your needs keeping your vertical relationship strong is, is important but living in authentic community with others, keeping your horizontal relationship must also be a priority. I have now come to understand that I need others in my life. I now know that I need to commit myself to living an intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. I commit myself to living an intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. Um, that contrasts with what a, a local pastor, a friend of mine here in Tuscaloosa told me years ago, and he said, I, I view everyone in our church as only being here temporarily. 
because there's so many that come and go in today's local church bodies. And he had had adopted that mindset to protect his own heart from being constantly torn and disappointed as people come and go. Some pastors also uh, believe that in order to be a good pastor, to be a good leader, they need a certain amount of distance from their congregation and people in their church so that their congregation doesn't see all their warts and issues. <clears throat> and I respect that view. I understand that view has long been held. It's time and tested to be some wisdom in it. But for me personally, uh, I mean, if that's if you're looking for that type of leadership, I just tell you now you're in the wrong place because I cannot, I cannot, I, I choose not to have any pretense or, or I guess I'm just I'm too committed to openness. I mean, I I'm imperfect. If you know me very well at all, you know my some of my imperfections. And the ones you don't know, if you hang around me very long, you'll, you'll get to know about it. Because I find that um, for me, I want, I want to follow others who are real, who I believe have an authentic uh, interest in me and are willing to uh, lay it all out there without any pretense or mask or anything along that at and anything along that uh, in that direction I think it also impact the generations to come I think if the Millennials and, yo and younger generations see older people who are able to appear uh, to appear real real and genuine and to have honest conversations will go a long way toward um, establishing a greater interest in uh, spiritual things and religious things. Tripp also makes the point that the gospel is now-centered. He used the term nowism that knowing Christ, living in Christ, living in community is not just about what happened yesterday, what happened at the cross, what happened at your salvation, your baptism, your being born again, or any other spiritual experiences you had. It's not just about the past. It's not about what's going to happen. As we sung about today, resurrection, <clears throat> we look forward to the resurrection. We look forward to Christ's return. We know that this life is but a vapor and uh, it'll soon be gone and then we'll see Jesus face to face and no longer through a veil darkly. <clears throat> but with all that being true, the gospel is also about the here and now. And uh, again, from that verse in John 10 where Jesus said, I come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And I wonder how many of us, if you were asked in the middle of your week, in the middle of your day, to describe your life would say, my life is abundant. I know there's many days I wouldn't choose that word. Um, <clears throat> so, 
uh, one more quote from uh, his book, Dangerous Calling. He says, some pastors have become very skilled at what we all tend to do in our, what we all tend to do in our sin, and that's to become a self-swindler. Here's, here's how it works. If you aren't daily admitting to yourself that you are a mess, there you go. I tell you, I am a mess. Ask Sanders, she'll tell you. I'm a mess and in daily, rather desperate need for forgiving and transforming grace. And if the evidence around has not caused you to abandon your confidence in your own righteousness, then you're going to give yourself to the work of convincing yourself that you are okay and become a self-swindler or a self-deceiver. So, are you okay? You don't have to answer. Are you a mess? Yes. What does the evidence around you point toward? There was a song back in the 80s in contemporary Christian music if you were convicted for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? So I guess the question is, is, is there enough evidence in your life to support the fact that you have the abundant life that Christ came that we might have? Are you willing to commit to living more intentionally to be in a relationships where we allow people to be intrusive that we are committed to being Christ-centered that we're driven by grace and we're experiencing, we're experiencing redemption together what would it take to get there what would it cost are you willing to pay the price or has the price already been paid for us? Are we living between the now and the not yet? Because sin blinds, God has set up the body of Christ to function as an instrument of sin in our lives so that we can know ourselves with a depth and accuracy that would be impossible if left on our own. Again, and just another case being made for the importance of deeper authentic relationships among believers today and all people but especially believers so are you willing to be the body of Christ for me for each other are you willing to allow us to be the body of Christ for you to be intrusive it's kind of scary isn't it it's been abused in some situations. That's why it must be grace-driven, Christ-centered, and focused on redemption. When we recognize and remember the re remaining sin within us, we can speak the truth to others in a kind, considerate, loving, respectful, and life-giving way. When somebody poses me a question today and they're trying to press the hot buttons, um, topics that are so prevalent I usually try to reframe the question 
in a way that, that completely disarms them and causes them to to reconsider instead of trying to get me to give the answer they want to hear to get them to consider the remaining sin within us and being able, and looking for every possible opportunity to speak the truth in a kind, considerate, loving, respectful, and life-giving way. A grace that is willing to break the silence. A grace that is committed to gospel truth. But it applies the truth of Scripture to our lives according to the light given by the Holy Spirit in a way that lifts up Christ that respects the body of Christ, that that honors the God bearer, God image bearer that we all are, and that recognizes that we can no longer continue on in a privatized, individualized Christianity. That thinking you can live with just me and Jesus or me and the Bible or me and the Holy Spirit is um, going to produce non-discipleship, not true discipleship. True discipleship can only occur within the context of the type of community that Paul Tripp's describing here and that I believe the scriptures support. Sometimes there is pain that rises from transforming grace, but we must be willing to face and endure that pain, a pain that is light and momentary, in order to experience the joy of healing and resurrection, of deliverance and freedom. It doesn't matter how dark or deep your need is, His grace is sufficient. Christ is in you and is your hope of glory. I believe that this world is desperate to find a place where they can experience a grace-saturated life. I'm desperate to experience more grace, aren't you? I'm committed to pursued relationships where there we can together experience a deeper, authentic, redemptive community. I know there will be great joy, there will be great freedom that comes from hearing and obeying the rescue and transforming grace and truth of the gospel. No one celebrates the presence and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ more than the person who has embraced his desperate and daily need of it. So remember, sin is deceptive. And remember who it deceives first. Self-centered living robs you of real life. Everyone has an intrinsic need to be loved and known within a community. If you aren't daily admitting to yourself that you're a mess and in daily and rather desperate need for forgiving, transforming grace, if the evidence around has not caused you to abandon your confidence in your own righteousness, then you're going to give yourself to the work of convincing yourself that you're okay. Have you come to the place to understand that you need others in your life? Are you ready to commit together with me to pursue living an intentionally intrusive, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community?
take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and proclaim our common faith in the Nicene Creed. I believe it's on page three in the new uh, booklets.